something that's made the past year way easier? Being a longtime user of HelloFresh. It's America's number one meal kit for a reason. And now is the best time to find out why. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Filmcast12 and use code Filmcast12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and when I keep large animals in my living room, they call me the Tiger King. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I don't mind the smell of horse shit. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. <laughs> we all had the same idea, because I was going to say it <laughs> smells like horse shit in here. <laughs> That's just podcasting We with do us. this live. We do yeah. it live, guys. We do it live. You know, we're, not, we're operating without a net here, you know? So anyway, of but, course, uh, I'm not kidding, guys. I, I don't mind it. It's not bad. Really? It's yeah, terrible. It's Are you kidding? It's fine. Compared to other other types of animal shit, like it's fine. It's me. <laughs> yeah, but it's all shit. Man. It's all shit. <laughs> it's but then all... we're talking about degrees of shit. There's no know, degradation. So. Um, welcome of... kids and children listening to the slash. <laughs> Here's our uh, our animal shit fan cast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Of course, those are in reference to our main review this evening, which is going to be for the film Concrete Cowboy, streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, before that, of course, we got some what we've been watching for you, as well as some weekly plugs. You can find more episodes of the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com. You can also email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Before we get to that, I want to read this email from Carlo and Maria from Italy. Carlo and Maria wrote into us about our review of The Father. Now, in order to read this email, uh, I'm going to have to give away the premise of The Father. Um, so if you don't want to know the premise of The Father, you don't want to know anything about it, just skip ahead a few minutes and uh, you will not hear about it. But uh, I, I, in order to read this, I do have to acknowledge we reviewed The Father a few episodes ago. The movie's great. You should check it out. The premise is pretty much covered in the trailer, but in case you're very cautious, I'm letting you know. Okay, here's the email from Carlo. Carlo writes in, quote, my wife and I just finished listening to your review of The Father, and we'd like to offer our opinion. You said that you found it very depressing and disheartening, but really, we didn't. Both my father and wife's mother are at different stages of senile dementia, and our experience is much harder than what was depicted in the movie. We did recognize all the situations presented, but many common problems are not discussed. For example, money. It's very expensive to hire someone for many hours a day and very, very expensive, uh, expensive to put someone in a home. Personal hygiene. Uh, which resulted in many, many awkward conversations and arguments about this topic, medication, many fights to convince them to take the drugs they need, or hospice's personnel, very often understaffed and therefore with no time to give personal care to guests. So in the end, the movie The Father looked to us like a beautified version of reality and was not really depressing at all. Yeah, we mainly yeah. empathize with Olivia Coleman probably because of our situation, but the final scene was heartbreaking. Ciao from Italy. Carlo and Maria, end quote. Wow. Heavy. It certainly, that movie did skip over the, uh, yeah. Some, the, some the, the kind of logistical tidy. challenges. Oh, boy. Of, uh, um, but also, yeah. I feel like the uh, the question of money was just kind of answered because that apartment was just beautiful. That whole yeah, that they're, movie they're is clearly, kind of apartment porn. Yeah. They're clearly well-off people. Right? Yep. So, yeah. Uh, but I, this is an interesting perspective because 
most people, I think, watching The Father would come away thinking, wow, that is a nightmarish vision of the end of life. And it's fascinating to hear some people watch it and say, wow, that's a that's a picnic compared to what we went through. So <laughs> sobering Which, uh, reminder. makes it sound even more nightmarish to yeah. us. Yeah. Sobering reminder. Sobering reminder. Anyway, uh, check out The Father. Check out our review of it. Uh, it's a great film. Thanks for that email, Carlo and Maria, writing into slash filmcast at gmail.com. A couple of other items I want to cover real quick. One is that it was announced today the Arclight is closing down. Yeah. Uh, according to uh, Deadline, Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters won't be reopening. Um, parent company Decurion hands keys back to landlords. Crazy. Uh, yeah. So these are the, uh, these are the uh, sort of premier top tier cinephile theater chain. Uh, the arc light it's it's meant to be um a sort of um you know the cadillac of <laughs> of movie going experiences and i actually went to the first showings on the first night of the first arc light theater wow yeah i was working at the hollywood bowl back then which is a big huge um you know 100 and some odd year old outdoor venue and all of us were invited to go to the big premiere grand opening. In fact, I kept my my pass from that. I don't know where it is now, but I thought it might be a collector's item someday. Um, and it was going to be only one theater. This Arclight Theater was only going to be one. It turned into a chain here in Los Angeles. I think it's only in Los Angeles, although I may be wrong about that. But there were a number of them um, all over the place. And uh, But the first one was in Hollywood right there. Um, on Sunset Boulevard. Um, and the the way they did movies at that time, which was, I don't know what year that was when they opened, 2002, something like that, 2003. Um, they, it, movie theaters weren't really doing that. They had a person introducing each movie, t- telling you, standing in front of the audience, every showing, guaranteeing the highest quality picture and sound um, saying that they would maintain, stand in the back of the theater and make sure the film had the highest quality picture and sound before they left. And um, they w- they had all kinds of ancillary programming as far as lectures and talks. There were a number of film festivals that were there. It was It was really trying to be a film lover's theater in a film town. And it would often have movies that weren't running other places and um, really was high quality all the way around. They had, had a restaurant and I mean, it was really made to look and feel like a high end venue. Um, yeah. it's, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing that, that it sounds like it's going away. Although, you know, who knows somebody might swoop in and yeah. buy yeah, up but the But by the time you're listening to this, another announcement might've happened that renders yeah. this news, uh, outdated. Yeah. My, my Twitter but, feed is currently hashtag save the arc light and you know, I'm nowhere near LA. So I, I <laughs> yeah. almost wonder if this is like a bargaining tactic to kind of help this thing survive. Yeah. Right. We'll we'll see. Uh, I have very fond memories of going through. I've been to the ArcLight maybe you know three four times in my entire life. Every single time was an amazing experience. Though I remember the first time I went was actually I was visiting LA. It was one of my first visits down there. I went there with Peter Serretta and Dan Trachtenberg. Uh, we went to go see Sunset Boulevard at the ArcLight on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, and one of one of my most vivid memories of that theater was sitting watching Sunset Boulevard with those guys and. 
just looking at the layout of the theater and the front row was really quite far back from the oh, front, nice. of, the, yeah. front that's, of the screen. That's how I like it. From the screen. Yes. And I'm just like, damn, like these people know what they're doing. Because not only is the whole experience premium, but like they would rather give up space yeah. and make sure every seat has a comprehensible view of the screen. That was one of like their big, shove, yeah. Yeah, yeah. was one of their big things was fewer seats in each auditorium too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, so it was it was it's amazing, it's amazing. Also, uh, anyway. the front row is the best row, so you know, really, really prioritize <laughs> well, it, that. It, it, you could make an argument for that at the ArcLight, yeah, to be yeah. honest, and also at the Alamo because it, at least at the New York one, the front row was also the only place that had the reclining seats. So, and Alamo has a little bit of distance, not as much as ArcLight, from what I've seen. I've never been. Oh, the other yeah. thing I loved about the ArcLight, and one of the reasons I preferred going there. Uh, first of all, they made their own caramel corn in-house, and it was sublime. Loved the caramel corn at, at the Arclight. But also, they guaranteed no more than three trailers in front of a movie. Ooh. I think most of the time it was two, but they said they would, you would never have more than three trailers in front of a movie. So, you know, you go to the AMC or, or you know, um, Regal, and you get like a half an hour of trailers before the movie. You know, by the 15th trailer, you're like, what is even happening I really appreciated the ArcLight was like, no, not going to do that. Basically, what we're describing are... The perfect theater. Ba- yeah. Uh, yeah. Not even the perfect theater, like a decent theater. <laughs> like a theater, a theater that takes like basic steps to ensure that you Doesn't have a treat experience. you like an animal. The bare minimum, yeah. the yeah. Bare minimum <laughs> framed as a premium experience. <laughs> That's all we want. <laughs> Here's the Curian statement, yeah. quote, after shutting our doors more than a year ago, today we must share the difficult and sad news that Pacific will not be reopening its arc-like cinemas and Pacific theaters location. This was not the outcome anyone wanted, but despite a huge effort that exhausted all potential options, the company does not have a viable way forward. To all the Pacific and Arclight employees who have devoted their professional lives to making our theaters the very best places in the world to see movies, we are grateful for your service and your dedication to our customers. To our guests and members of the film industry who have made going to the movies such a magical experience over the years, our deepest thanks. It has been an honor and a pleasure to serve you. End quote. So that's the official statement. Very, very sad. Amazing theater. Uh, Seattle lost a really good theater as well. The Cinerama recently was, uh, let's just say... It, it, I it, it shut down around the time of pre-COVID, and I think it's unlikely if it does reopen. It's unlikely it will reopen in its former state, and that's very very sad. Um, so we are we are losing some of the best ones, but at least AMC still around, guys. Right? Yeah, give me that. Yeah, a list, baby. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's it is genuinely sad that uh, places that are kind of the vanguard of the of a premium theatrical experience are going away. So. Uh, Arclight, we hope that you will be saved, uh, and maybe some rich person will swoop in and make it happen. Or a studio. where can you find a rich person who loves movies in Hollywood? I don't. Know. <laughs> if only, if only there was a city where people who love movies all came to. And if only had there money. was a city full of hundred millionaires, <laughs> yeah, uh, that could afford a place like this. Anyway. But you know what? You know what the new premium movie going venue is, Dave? What's that? My living room. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Tell us more about it, Jeffrey. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that that's. I think that's what the average person is saying <laughs> oh, now. That, that is probably. I thought you were about where, to tell us about a home yeah. theater upgrade or something. No, no, that's where I'm just saying. That's where I saw Godzilla versus Kong. Mm. That's where mm. I'm going to be watching that Black Widow. You yeah. know, it's going to yeah. be uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. premier destination for uh, movie going for, for our movie. Yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of your home, yeah, Jeff, uh, I, I I heard through the grapevine that you might not be living in LA 
for much longer. Is that right? Now that there's no arc light, what's the point? Yeah, you're just taking the arc light <laughs> with you, man. Jeez. That's all I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I, uh, I live across the street from a movie theater, but mm-hmm. maybe not for long. Maybe not for long. It wasn't an arc light. Um, <laughs> it was an AMC. <laughs> it is an AMC. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm almost loath to bring this up simply because. So, so much can go wrong. So yeah. much can go <laughs> so wrong. Much can Thank go you, wrong. I, I, I know it. I'm yeah. anxious to to talk to Davinder about this because you, you know Davinder, you just moved to Georgia not too long ago, yeah. uh, in the middle of COVID, and um, so yeah, I have I have many questions, but so I'll I'll frame it this way. Long before COVID, I mean, for a long time, my wife and I have talked about the potential of leaving Los Angeles. It's not really the kind of place we want to raise our kids, um, mostly because the air catches on fire periodically, like much too frequently for my my taste. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of reasons, honestly, but the cost of living here is very, very high. Um, You know, our money, our dollar does not go as far as it can go in other places. And... You know, the, we don't live in L.A., L.A., although there's no such thing as L.A., L.A. It's just a big, sprawling mess. But that being said, we are, are north in the in the valley. And so we're not in, like, you know, Hollywood or downtown Los Angeles. or. It, but still, I don't love the idea of raising my kids, like, in L.A. It just feels mm-hmm. like there's a lot of uh, lifestyle that will rub off on them and, uh, as they're growing up that just feels like... A little too much for really young people to handle. What's, what's, the, what's like the biggest lifestyle thing in LA that you're most worried about? I mean, it, it, it's it's a fast moving yeah. town it's all these, of these movie theater people. snobs. I feel like <laughs> yeah. that's it, right? Like yeah. the people who just they have too many seats, too many seats in the theater. <laughs> God damn it! It's all <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, okay. it's a town of desperation and yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, sort of bald ambition Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, raising a kid in that is Mm -hmm. uh, like some of that stuff that sort of crass willing to do anything to get ahead kind of mentality. I, I, I get a little worried about raising my kids in that. It just feels like it's an adult city in a lot of ways. It's not a kid friendly city. Um, and, and I, no offense to anybody that's listening, that's here in Los Angeles and raising kids. I, you know, this is obviously different choices for different people. And I'm sure there are lots of ways to raise a family in this city. In fact, we've, we've carved out, you know, friendships and good schools and all these things, not in the last year, of course, none of that's been, <laughs> been a part of our lives, but, uh, but you know, we were doing it and still may, you know, there's a very real possibility that we don't go anywhere, but all day today, uh, there've been people taking photographs of my home to potentially put it up on, um, up for sale oh shit so it's this is not just a flight of fancy oh no this is the gears are in motion so much so that that it it, it almost might be a snowball out of control down a mountain like it may be so (laughs) there may be no brakes to put that's really the only way to to handle it right (laughs) because i think if you step back and think about the process of (laughs) buying a house or moving or anything you're like oh man so many steps how do i do this you start one step and then yeah. you can't stop it. That's really that's really how I ended up here, guys. That's that's all I can I believe tell you. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I believe you start asking mm-hmm. questions yeah. just out of yeah. curiosity, and then all of a sudden there's people at your house with cameras. You know, it's mm-hmm. taking pictures of your. You know, I spent 
the last three days cleaning every goddamn inch of my house and moving everything that I own into the garage so that it's a pristine, beautiful. I mean, my wife is very detail oriented. So we, as Mm. you, as you both know, uh, and so it was, you know, our house looks like something out of a catalog right now, uh, because like the kids were, were quarantined and everything was, (laughs) we clean, oh my God, we cleaned, we cleaned. Um, but the crazier part is fellas, we don't know where we're going. What? <laughs> I know. What? It's insane. It's an insane situation that we are in. I thought where- when you told me this, I thought, I was, oh, well, Jeff already just, dis- because yeah, we, yeah. we had been talking about like which ones you were choosing between. So yeah. I was like, oh, we he's have- already figured it out. Good for him. By, by the way, Jeff, <laughs> might I re- rem- uh, recommend to you the 2009 Sam Mendes film, Away We Go? I feel like hmm. that would be very fitting oh, for yeah. you right now because yeah. that movie is all about a couple traveling around the u.s figuring out where where the hell to move and raise your children so, that's a great idea we might watch yeah. maybe we'll watch this weekend yep. um by the way this weekend we're going to be traveling to try to find some place to live anyway <laughs> um so so here's the situation I, I i'm doing a very terrible job of explaining this but as many listeners may be aware mm-hmm. the housing market in the united states right now is bonkers it's mm-hmm. completely unhinged it's it's Things in our area are going for insane prices and things will get listed and they'll be sold two days later for like hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking price. Wait, people waiving contingencies, people, you know, paying cash dollars just to have the house taken off the market so that it's just, it's insane. It's a seller's market. There's no inventory. All these people who've been cooped up inside their houses are looking to upgrade and relocate and change their lives, which, you know, I guess I'm in that category too. But, um, so it is a massive seller's market and we have looked around at the comps in our neighborhood of these other places that are going for money. And we've been in this house for four years and we could theoretically make a killing on selling this house. Like we could, Mm. it's almost stupid not to sell it. Right. It's, uh huh. I mean, it <laughs> depends on where you're buying. If you're buying it locally, it would be well. That's the point, right? That's yeah, that's right, exactly yeah. the next step. Is yeah. you can't sell the house and then buy someplace else in the same area because it's a lateral move. You don't you don't, you don't come out ahead that way. Yes. Uh, so the notion here is we'd have to leave California, and you know, I both my wife and I grew up in California, and I grew up in Northern California. She grew up down here. We are California natives, have known no other place. She went to college in California. I went to college in California. You know, we've never really lived anywhere else. So Mm -hmm. we're a little nervous that way. But the last year in COVID has shown us that, like a lot of people, that you can live anywhere and kind of do It turns out people live all over the place. Right. You know, yeah. 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 And this is a trend that the world is experiencing right now where people are like, oh my gosh, I can... I don't have to live in the city I work, potentially. I can, you know, and there's a lot of these companies that are saying we're going to be, you know, remote remote work companies forever. And so anyway, so, you know, it, it's a cliche at this point because so many people are coming to the same conclusion, but we came to the conclusion that, you know, maybe we could improve our life, get a nicer house for less money in a place that is a lot less expensive and come out ahead. And to be totally frank with all of our listeners a lot of this is because of this show being on patreon right now 
Like it's literally liberating my life in a, in a large sense because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I moved to Los Angeles to, for career stuff. Right. And the idea that I may be able to live in a place that's inexpensive enough that I can live on podcasting money Mm -hmm. is a pretty amazing notion that my wife can, you know, my wife can work from wherever for her job and she, you know, she can be the major breadwinner and I can be a podcaster or do something that's remote. A newsletter writer, Jeff. I believe in you. I guess I could do that. That's like the thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, my hopes and dreams of being, you know, famous in Los Angeles sort of died. So it's like what, you know, this notion of living somewhere in that is inexpensive, comparatively inexpensive, uh, where our dollar goes a lot farther, where we can actually have a nicer house for a considerably less money. And then, you know, this the little nest egg that selling this house could afford us means we don't have to be stressed about retirement as much, right? We put, we sack money away from selling this house and all of a sudden a lot less stress about, you know, just having podcasting be my income or, or whatever. I can be a little riskier with my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, don't have I also to be think scrambling. Jeff, you may want to be out before fire season again. Yes. Because and, that sounded and, like hell last year. Yeah. It, it's been hell the last five years in a row. Yeah. yeah. And I honestly have felt like a bad parent raising kids where, you know, a month out of the year, they can't breathe the air safely. You know, that's just, it just seems insane. And then all of a sudden, you know, also it's like TikTok, TikTok on when an earthquake's going to happen, you know? So uh, there's a lot of things about California and Mm -hmm. we start looking all around the country and seeing the kinds of houses that you can get for a fraction of the cost that we would sell this house for. And it becomes like, oh my goodness, this it feels like we could really upgrade our lives considerably. Well, Jeff, I have a couple questions, but why don't we take a quick break uh, to thank one of our sponsors, and then we'll come right back to the Slash Filmcast. Hey, everyone. I've been looking for ways to make my home feel a bit more comfortable these days, especially since I have two cats. That means I've got multiple litter boxes, and uh, I can't really run away from them these days. We're not really going many places at the moment, and with previous litters, I would just encounter a lot of dust and uh, smells that I didn't really want to deal with. Then I found Pretty Litter, and it does so much more than trap odor. It's one of the most unique cat litters I've seen. It uses ultra-absorbent crystals to trap odor. It lasts up to a month, and... um, You know, compared to traditional clay litter, you don't really have to scoop as much because it absorbs urine. You just kind of have to scoop out the poop and you barely smell it at all. It's also safer for your cat and pretty much the entire household. Clay litters have irritants that could really trigger asthma and allergies. Pretty litters, super light crystals just don't have any of those issues. I also appreciate the fact that it arrives safely at my door in a small lightweight box. Shipping is free and I never have to worry about storing bulky containers. Previously, when I was living in New York, I had to lug bulky containers around and it's still not that convenient, even though I have a car now. It also helps that I don't even really have to think about ordering Pretty Litter again. It just kind of comes on a recurring delivery. But what I really appreciate about Pretty Litter is that it changes colors to help detect early signs of potential illness in my cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. 
that's been helpful for me, especially as my cats are getting older and I really need to keep tabs on their health. So do what I did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today. Get 20% off your first order by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. So Jeff, uh, first of all, I want to mention that uh, you know, as you mentioned, we are extremely grateful to our patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast for even allowing Je- you're saying without this Patreon, you wouldn't even be able to contemplate this decision. Is that what you're saying? I, I mean, we, I, I contemplated it before the Patreon, but it's made it. So it's like, Oh my God, th- there's the pressure is off to maybe have to scramble for the kind of other ancillary income right. that made my lifestyle possible. It's, it's a huge right. gift. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So we're really grateful for all of the our, our patrons for doing that. Which actually just reminds me, Jeff, I wanted to tell you some news. Uh, we're shutting down the Patreon this week. No, I'm just <laughs> joking. Um, you really need to do that like two weeks into my move. <laughs> right now. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so what are some of the, the top options you're considering, Jeff, in terms of moving? So the crazy thing is when you, there's no reason to move, you know, when there's no oh, I got a job in a new city or, oh my gosh, my family lives a place. I want to move there. Or if there's no thing drawing you to a place, you're just like, where else can we go? It becomes really friggin' hard (laughs) to narrow it down. We have gone through the gamut. Like we started, uh, my wife has family in Chicago. So we were thinking about maybe sort of the Chicago area. Uh, We're off that now. Uh, I have one of my best friends lives in Portland and I've been to Portland many, many, many times and love, we've always talked about moving to Portland the housing market in Portland is similarly crazy right now. So yeah. all it, the hot cities are going to be yeah. mess right now. Yeah. So our current, our current front runner, mm-hmm. our current, our current front runner is Raleigh, North Carolina. Very nice. Yeah. Which is a place that I visited, I think twice, or I think Charlotte once and Raleigh once, uh, but never with an eye of moving there. I, I, it, it just sort of, arrived on our radar as a nice place. And this is one of the reasons I want to talk to Devendra, right? Cause Devendra, you moved from New York city mm-hmm. to yep. the South, you know, and I am, you know, Mr. Liberal Californian. There is a part of me that's very scared about moving sure. to the South, you know? I mean, I also think like there is, especially among like the, the liberal pockets, like I, I've been visiting Atlanta for over a decade, right? My mm-hmm. family lives here. I'm here all the time. So it's like, I think after coming here, certainly the idea of being in capital T, capital S, the South kind of goes away because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there. it turns out like th- there is horrible racist shit happening all over this country, you know? And the South yeah. has a very particular history of it and a brand of it. But I think what's happening, at least among the like the, the progressive pockets and everything, like people are trying to change the the institutions here and trying to change like the way these states and these governments work so it is not a terrifying thing but certainly it is culturally it, it's going to be a little different for you but yeah. the places you're looking are, are like perfectly um like i don't think you'll feel even a huge difference other than maybe different kinds of food like you'll be eating a lot more barbecue if you're I'm, looking at I'm North happy Carolina. with that yeah I'm, yeah i welcome that but, you know, I, I, there's been we've talked to to realtors and said, you know, they said, well, you know, you get you get a little too far away from the, you know, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may see some uh, Confederate flags. You know, it's like, I don't want you, you my kids see to see that. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you know what's outside of Portland? 
uh, a lot of white yeah, supremacists. That's a true. A lot of them. That's a state entirely founded to keep black people from moving there. That yeah. is that is why Portland or why Oregon exists. So yeah. it the, it is everywhere. It is certainly everywhere. You yeah, will, there's, there, there's vast yeah. parts of the state I live in. Well, that's what uh, I said that to Aaron. I was that, like, Orange County. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not like California is immune yeah. just because we are a big blue splotch on the election map. It is yeah. a very different kind of uh, it's a different kind of thing. Like, yeah, you may not encounter Confederate flags there, but you'll probably you know encounter people who live. What is that? Uh, that beach town, which is now getting a lot of shit uh, because uh, Los Angeles took it away from a black family, basically. Uh, um, that's the thing. It's like uh, right below Venice. Somewhere near there, but like it's things like that. It's it's the inequity of housing, the inequity of in of education exists yeah. in L.A. Like it's all it, it's everywhere. So you know you'll be bringing your kids to a different environments. Um, I'll tell you, I've seen Confederate flags in New York. I saw Trump hats, you know, in New York, of course. So it, it's, it's like an entire things. building with his name on it. There, it, it turns out, yeah, yeah. But I think this is actually good, Jeff. You know, it it, it means uh, you're going to be out of your comfort zone, but also means uh, you can be uh, a bigger part of the solution. You know, if you're a part of uh, states not, that those are votes. not an yeah. not an insignificant part of our motivation. You know, it mm-hmm. is it is uh, kind of put your money where your mouth is type of a situation where it's like, yeah, maybe maybe that's what it takes is, is some people who are, you know, in our own sort of segregation where we are just around a bunch of like minded people and um, safely, you know, in these giant voting blocks, we can, you know, move out into the rest of the country and, and, and be part of the solution. I hope I, you know, we've talked, I've talked to a lot of people, uh, in that area and they, they talk about, it is very diverse, very, um, Mm-hmm. progressive, uh, these I, I bet you, sections. Jeff, it'll be more diverse than where you're living right now. Most likely. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> I, and that's something I we value, you, yeah. right? I want, I want my kids to grow up in, in diverse, uh, environment and, um, you know, and, and then you're going to laugh at me when we, we've gone down the road talking about this and hear about where the, <laughs> some of the other ideas that, about where we're thinking, because we're also thinking about Arizona. Um, Arizona you listen, not a bad if you don't mind the desert heat and everything. I know a lot of pe- people who love it, despite the state, like the actual government yeah. being shit. Same with Georgia, right. you know, so but Jeff, like you could you could almost like um, rather than being like in the suburban communities, like you have the potential to live out almost your Captain Fantastic dream you know get get <laughs> yeah. a big place get a big place with a lot of space and just like do your own thing for a while like that's, it is do you do exactly what it's doable you yeah know, that's exactly what's possible in those kinds of places because yeah you can get a i mean especially arizona you know you can get the same kind of square footage that you can get in like a you know raleigh or, or other parts of the country but it's all one floor you know, like you get these square footage, these high square footage houses that are, you know, multi-story, but in Arizona, it's like all one floor. So it's these big sprawling houses. It's pretty awesome. And, um, you know, the dollar goes so much farther on, on housing and you can see these places that, you know, we're looking at, it's like, oh my yeah. God, we can actually live someplace. Arizona needs really your votes, nice. Jeff. Like yeah. uh, certainly in, in terms of places that need your, need your votes, Arizona, North Carolina, sir, yeah. good ones. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm going to say, uh, Jeff, we wish you best of luck. And also, listen. I'm sure listeners out there listening to this have a strong opinion on where you should live. So, be Ooh, sure to share that. Let's make this yeah. a Patreon poll. You know sure what? <laughs> My wife and I will base the rest of our lives on whichever number is higher in a poll. Yeah. Yes, let's do that. Uh, uh, be no, sure I mean, to share your opinion with Jeff Kanata on Twitter at Jeff Kanata Two N Twenty. I, I want to say. I want to say. 
that I sort of uh, obliquely just asked people, hey, does anybody live in North Carolina mm-hmm. um, on my mm-hmm. on my Twitter feed? Uh-huh. And the number of people who went out of their way to be helpful and informative and answered my questions. It was super nice, super nice. And this little, this little huddle of like Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina is really, is really nice to live in. Like, I think you'd appreciate it. And especially if you're near the coast. I could drive to you, Devendra. I could drive to you. You could. Yeah. That's like three hours away from me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, we, we need to, you know, rethink the whole uh, time zone that we record in, you know, because now it would be two against one, the other direction. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, are you saying we would need to record earlier? Because I think earlier is actually what, better. That's what we've yeah. actually been advocating for for a long time. Jeff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so anyway, <laughs> good luck, Jeff. Uh, and good again, luck. and watch the way we go. I think you will genuinely appreciate like what that movie tries to do, and nobody talks about it. That's so. a great, great recommendation. I'm, I'm excited to check that out, uh, and I appreciate it. I, I like I said. All of this may come to nothing. It, it, it may we end, may end up chickening out. Uh, oh, there's yeah, a very yeah. real possibility of that. My moving but, process uh, took like four or five years. Like, let's be. <laughs> yeah. It was. A, it's yeah. research. It's a lot of research, and then you pull the trigger, and then everything just kind of falls into. Yeah, place. well, I think so, I feel like it's yeah. the thing that's making it happen is this momentum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get to what we've been watching this week. Uh, I'll talk about something real quick. Because we only, we got a few minutes uh, right now, and that is, uh, I saw this movie called Man Push Cart. And Devinder, I think you've seen this movie, yes. right? Yeah. Well, I saw it when it came out. That was like what two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So uh, this movie is directed by Ramin Barani. We recently reviewed a movie directed by Ramin Barani. Uh, we all really White, dug, yeah. White Tiger. White Tiger. Such a great movie. Yeah. And I had heard you actually, this is kind of a Devinger recommendation because you mentioned his movie Man Push Cart when we reviewed White Tiger. And I was like, oh, I should um, check that out. And lo and behold, it was on the Criterion channel. And of course, because it's it's a masterpiece. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I didn't know that you liked it so much. But yeah, I, I watched it and I thought it was very, very good. I really, really liked it. Um, so it's it's basically about a Pakistani immigrant who uh, works at one of those bagel carts in uh, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And dude, and dude was a rock star, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of, it's kind yeah. of part of the plot. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah. It, it, you basically find out during the course of the movie that like uh, what his past is and kind of a little bit more about his life. Not that much happens in the film in terms of plot. No, it's, it's a, really it's a slice of life movie. Yeah, yeah it's slice of life movie. And... Uh, and I'll just say, by the way, I'm trying to put in more reps into my Criterion channel these good, days. You know what good. I mean? Like, yes, trying yeah. to turn on the Criterion channel, I'm saying, like, I got to find something to watch <laughs> did on you, here. Did like, you hear that Bong Joon-ho interview where he watches a movie every morning when he gets up because he gets up at, like, 5 a.m.? Yeah. He's just trying to weird, match him. weird. I mean, I, I, yeah. I respect it. You know, like, he's, he's <laughs> hey, a filmmaker. If, that's what he does. If I could do it. If I could do it, if I could make the time, I would totally do that. The yeah. last thing I want to do right when I wake up, though, is watch a movie. It just feels like a weird timing for that. I don't know. Uh, the mm. dream state. Uh, it depends. It depends on the movie. Yeah. I, I would. I, I think criteria. Yeah. I mean, criterion movies, you know, they require your attention in a way that other things don't, I would argue. Uh, but that's good. And so I'm trying to put in more reps in the criterion channel, trying to, like, fill in a lot of my my blind spots. Uh, and this was, uh, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to say that in the context of this, cause this movie was made in 2005. It wasn't made in 1905. Yeah. So like, but it was really still- like th- this thing was a, it was kind of a phenomenon when it came out and, uh, you know, yeah, it was like right after college. I think like when I ended up seeing it, but yeah, it, it I think it won an award at Sun. It, uh, yeah. it won the 
Fibreski Critics Award at the London Film Festival. It, it debuted at Sundance uh, Festival, I believe. And uh, it was widely heralded as uh, having the style of Italian neorealism and mm-hmm. French new wave. Uh, and the way I absorb those styles in this movie is basically like a lot of it felt like almost the entire film was shot using one lens. Like yep. it, not a lot of like uh, camera movement. There's, there's camera movement, but not a lot of like dollying or anything like that. Mostly just like panning side to side, stuff like that. Um, and of course, uh, in terms of the uh, the way scenes play out, it's very kind of uh, cinema verite style. It's very like, hey, we're just watching this guy's life play out. Like it, it doesn't feel super scripted. It, it, you know, for all I know, the plot could have been, the script could have been improvised. Um, it just feels like you're kind of getting a glimpse of this person's life. And the reason I really enjoyed it is, uh, I think it really gives a great sense of, uh, what being an immigrant is like, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. we see a lot of immigrants, different types of immigrant stories in the American popular imagination. Uh, and the ones we hear the most about are rags to riches. Right, the people who come here with nothing, and they become millionaires or billionaires, and it's like part of the American mythos. Uh, and it's it's rarer to hear stories of people who were something before and then came here and then became nothing. You know, and I, uh, I also think like the the idea of focusing on like just one of those people you run into during the day, right? Somebody yeah. you see on the street, somebody just selling coffee or something. You know, I, I'm very used to American TV doing the like Seinfeld thing where literally every character of color, every potential immigrant or something is just like a plot device or something for them to riff off of. And they're not a person with interiority or dreams or hopes or anything. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This movie, yeah, kind of struck yeah, me in that that's way. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, other the other characteristics of Italian neorealism, like a lot of use of like non-actors uh, and also stories focused on uh working class and poverty and stuff like that so this really does fit like check a lot of those boxes and i think it's just a fascinating film uh that i would would strongly recommend that i think does a a great job of capturing an immigrant experience Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i i really dug it did you anything else about this movie that you like man push part is a movie we're talking about. i'm glad you saw it everybody should check it out i think it is uh one of the best films of the 2000s I'd say like it, it just really struck me, but also Ramin Bahrani has made so many great films. And actually one that came to mind right now is 99 homes, which is a movie uh, starring Michael Shannon. That is also about the, uh, the housing, crisis. The housing crisis. Yeah. And I think you'd actually appreciate that right now, Jeff, because it is all about the nightmare of the housing <laughs> crisis. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like this movie better than that one. Uh, I think this, yeah, is, this movie is just, like, it, it's, it's is unique, fantastic. right? You, yeah. Like it, it's hard to see anything like it. Um, is there, was there part of the movie that really resonated with you, Devendra? Uh, I mean, yeah. it was, I think it was one of those movies that just made me, uh, believe in the romance of New York. Yeah. Right. Like there, yeah. there's the thing where I don't, New York isn't for everybody. I'll, I'll say this up front. I, every city isn't for everyone. I don't know if I would be as happy in LA as I was in New York, but I think the, the way life just pushes up against like the way we all push up against each other in New York, the way everybody takes a subway, um, the way your these folks, these coffee vendors and other people you see on the street play a role in your lives is very distinct. And I don't know, it just made me a believer in like what New York could be. So this movie almost in a way led me to New York too. Yeah. It made me think a lot about kind of 
how a city like New York allows a business like this to exist, yes. right? In a way that other <laughs> cities don't. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, it's like don't, this... don't tell Andrew Yang that because... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's Buddy, like this... what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's trying to get rid of unlicensed vendors, right? Yeah, it's... The, the churro grandmas. The grandmas selling churros <laughs> on the subway. Everybody loves them. Literally everybody loves them uh, anyway. But yeah, those vendors, I love them. All of them, even the unlicensed ones. There's just so many things that are distinct about New York City, right? That mm-hmm. couldn't exist anywhere. Else. Spider-Man can't exist in <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia, or whatever. Or maybe, maybe he could in Atlanta. He'd, but be, like, very, he'd be stuck in traffic all. the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or at all because of scientific realities. Right? You would need a superhero <laughs> who just can never be stuck in traffic. That would have to be the uh, the superpower for Atlanta and certainly in L.A. too. I think, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but the idea being that like, hey, th- th- this business can exist because e- we can slice up every bit of a human being's day, right, and uh, marketize it or economize it or whatever. And like, this is the part of the day where they have walked to work and need a cup of coffee and a bagel. Couldn't they make a cup of coffee and a bagel at home? Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but why not serve it to them for two dollars instead? Uh, and that way, they don't need to do it at home. They don't need to do it in their cramped studio apartment. Yeah, and uh, also, it's not like it's not like on-demand food, right? Like you're out there, you're interacting with people. And I know a, a lot of the rituals I used to do in New York were just like going out and saying hi to the people in the bodega. You know, not because I needed anything really, but because I, I like doing that as one of my first things. It's also, of course, about some of the darker sides of yeah. uh, the American immigrant experience, right? And how one of the key components of the immigrant experience is like keeping the hope of something better always dangling in front of you, right? And uh, and how that, while it can be motivating, um, can also be extremely sad and tragic and toxic in a way. Yeah, it is um, the the hope and uh, I don't know prison of capitalism, basically. Yeah, indeed. Well put, Devendra. Well put. Well, uh, hopefully listening to us talk about it has uh, made you interested in watching it. Uh, and aside from 99 Homes, anything else you'd recommend by this guy? I feel like uh, do not watch his Fahrenheit uh, 451 uh, adaptation because that was awful. Uh, yeah, I it's heard that a, was um, pretty rough. It's a damn shame because that, yeah, that co-starred Michael B. Jordan. And, I heard, uh, uh, I heard and Chop Michael Shop is probably his best Chop movie. Chop Shop is very good, yeah. Okay, I'll try to and check Goodbye that Solo out. is good. I feel like you've we've talked about Goodbye Solo at some point. Yeah, um, uh, it's possible. Maybe when the podcast first began, yeah. <laughs> uh, like twelve years ago. So anyway, uh, that's Man Push Cart. It's available right now on Criterion Streaming. Devinder and I both really enjoyed it. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Storyworth. You know, Mother's Day is coming up soon. And if there's ever been a year to make the moms in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, it is this one. I'll tell you what I did for my mom last Mother's Day. In fact, it's coming up to be one year since I gifted my mom StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your mom, your grandmother, your mother-in-law, every mother figure in your life, every any person you choose, it helps them share stories by giving them thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun way to engage with them, especially if you can't be together in person. Every single week, StoryWorth emails your mom a different story prompt, questions that you've never thought to ask, like, what is some of the best advice your mother gave you? Or if you could choose any talents to have, what would they be? 
My mom has been answering these questions all year long, once a week. And just like me, StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways. And their testimonials will practically move you to tears. Uh, my own experience, I gave my dad StoryWorth two years ago for Father's Day and my mom's StoryWorth this last year. And I get to see their emails as they come in. It's just like answering an email. They give this wonderful prompt and my mom has been answering it every week. And, and I'm CC'd on these emails. StoryWorth sends it to me because I gifted it to her. And I get to see week after week all these wonderful things that I never knew about my mom. There's no shortage of surprises when you read these weekly stories. And they made me feel close over this last year during COVID with my mom, even though we weren't able to be physically together. It's, it's just really a wonderful thing. And then after a year, which is why I'm so excited that I'm coming up on the one year anniversary, after a year, StoryWorth will compile all of my mom's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that shipped for free. I'm giving one to my mom. I already got one for my dad. And you can give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by go to storyworth.com slash slash filmcast. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash slash filmcast for $10 off. S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com and then slash and then the word S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for $10 off. Hey, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Quip. I use my Quip every day to brush, to floss, and now to chew gum. What? Gum. Gum is the unsung hero when it comes to better oral health. The American Dental Association recommends chewing sugar-free gum for 20 minutes after meals. Did you know that? It's true. And it was it was only a few short years ago that Quip reinvented the toothbrush for the modern age. I love it. We have four Quips in my house. But they've done it again, and this time for chewing gum. They've launched a new gum that's actually good for your oral health. And it comes with a dispenser that'll remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. It's pretty slick. It's great. It's easy to carry around with you. It looks cool. And Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when it's chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free. It has tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories. And to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor, crunchy tri-layer design, and stamped it all with the classic Quip tongue. That's pretty cool. They have a slim travel-ready dispenser, which is available in five colors, metal or plastic packs and protects up to 10 gum pieces at a time and it fits in just about any purse or pocket for on the go and you add the gum refill plan for a gift that keeps on giving all year round quips customizable subscription lets you chew and share at your own pace without having to worry about running out plus the more you buy the more you save with bulk discounts on extra gum packs now gum chewing is not a substitute for brushing or flossing but this is a great support for your oral health Pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush, as I do, for adults and kids. My kids even use an, a Quip. It's great. They love it. You got the refillable floss and more great products. In addition to gum packs, Quip also delivers fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from five bucks. Shipping is free, and you can save money and skip the misery of in-store shopping. It's great. 
And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. You can also find the Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and more in the oral care aisle at your local Walmart. Quip, the good habits company. All right. Jeff Kanata, let's talk about this documentary we watched this week on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> it's called This is a Robbery, which, by the way, whenever I read that title, uh, my I read it in the voice of Tim Roth in uh, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. What about you? Any of you motherfucking press out? <laughs> yeah, that, that part. Move, and I'll execute every yeah, last motherfucking one okay. of you. You know, like, yeah, that's literally every single time I look at that title, that's that sound <laughs> cue goes through my head. <laughs> yeah. So This is a Robbery is a new documentary that's on Netflix. The subtitle is The World's Biggest Art Heist. And it's about the 1990 art heist that occurred at the Isabella Gardner Museum in Boston. Now, Which I had never heard of, by the way. I, the I museum. Was not, I was, but the heist, I mean. I see, I see. I, yeah, I, well, is, you know, yeah. well alive, uh, very aware of the world at that time. Uh, did not, did not, had never heard of it. I mean, I was young, but. Whatever. The Isabel Garden Museum. I have been in that museum two to three times. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because I was part of my high school's Just magical, in the joint. I was part of my, my my high school's magical choir, and basically, it was invi- our choir was invited to perform in the museum, and it was a big deal because it's like hard to get into the museum. It's not like open to the public. It, hmm. I, maybe it is. I don't know. I, I literally post nineteen ninety. It's less yeah, easy. Yeah, it's in. like it's uh, it felt very exclusive, yeah. you know, to get in there. And of course, you go in there, and there's like literally nothing else like it. It's just like such a unique space. And well, so, the, the idea here is that this woman, uh, Mrs. Gardner, uh, mandated in her will she she funded the the museum, mandated in her will that it, no thing could be moved or changed in any way, or they would lose all the money that she set aside right, for it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it is it it itself is kind of like this weird time capsule of a different style in a different time you know no museum is going to look the same way it was uh, established you know many decades ago so it's, it, yeah. th- i think that's probably pretty interesting in and of itself so i had already heard about the museum obviously and i'd heard about the robbery it was because i lived in boston but had been to the museum it was a big deal in 1990 the isabella gardner museum was the victim of the largest art heist apparently ever uh 200 million dollars of assets were stolen and this is a robbery a four-part netflix documentary uh explores that robbery and comes up with some potential theories as to what happened now i'm going to reveal not the ending of this is a robbery but i'm going to reveal like real life details about the gardner museum robbery so if you don't know anything about it and you're like "Ooh, i want to check this out like skip ahead by a couple minutes uh but i'm going to reveal like in real life uh, what has happened, because this is this is a fairly public story, uh, is that they, as of this moment, as we're recording this right now, have not recovered the paintings. And in some ways, the crime has never been definitively solved. Right. So the question for me watching this is no, knowing that the crime has not been solved and knowing that if it had been solved, I would be reading about it in the New York Times or something like that, right? Uh, I would have read about it prior to then. So I'm like, okay, hasn't been solved. Does this documentary justify its four-hour runtime, given that it's a crime that hasn't been solved? Jeff Kanata, what do you think? No. 
<laughs> I actually I think, agree. <laughs> I think I this think movie would have this thing could have been a really cool like 90 minute documentary and it would have been really interesting i'm gonna go even further i'm gonna say like if you had cut 1.5 episodes out of the four episode runtime it would have been awesome are you saying um, it could have been even longer than could I have been even long. could have been like two I, and a half hours I, I, yeah, I would have been like that's great i've done a lot of thinking about this because i had a hard time putting my finger on exactly what i didn't like about this thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think ultimately tell me if you agree i think ultimately there's no framing device. I mean, I, I don't mean to make a pun there about paintings, but... Why not, Jeff? You usually would. <laughs> all right. All right. So it was intentional. I spent hours thinking of that. Big deal. Um, no, there is no... There's no... If at the beginning of this series, there had been some sort of way to convey to the audience, okay, this is an unsolved crime. We're going to go through all the possible... Mm-hmm. things that may have occurred and try to whittle down to the most plausible solution. Right. Which is what it does. Yeah. It just doesn't tell you it's doing that. It it is just, it just sort of goes on these wild tangents yeah. and you're yeah. like, why are we fucking talking about this shit? Yeah. And, and yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like okay so that's why it couldn't have been that and it's like oh well that was that a possibility? And it's like that's why it wasn't the <laughs> IRA. And it's like well wait could it what? <laughs> Why are we talking? What you know? It, but that was one of the prevalent theories. But it doesn't be. It doesn't like sit you down and go. Okay, here are the prevalent theories. We're going to investigate each of them and tell you why one of them seems to be the most plausible. Which I think just having that framework, just having that structure to the thing, would have made it a lot feel a lot less tedious. But another thing that this thing does that I think is an absolute crime against documentaries mm. is this absurd brazen use of b-roll mm-hmm. did you pick up on this david tell, tell me about yeah what are you talking about it would use b-roll like i'm struggling to come up with an, the perfect example but it would say something like um um uh you know uh this person you know there are people who, uh, you know, in the art world who have, uh, you know, used uh, disguises to do, do things. And then it would, it would like cut to B-roll of like uh, newsreel footage of guys in disguises being carted away by cops. And it's like, wait, is that part of what th- this thing? And it's like, no, 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 no. This is just some fucking weird ass B-roll that we threw in to have something on the screen where we made a tangential point that had nothing to do with the actual crime. And it happens over and over and over. It'll be this thing that I'm like, holy shit, we're watching B-roll of this crazy thing that's happening, like explosions happening in a crowd. And it's like, oh my God, did these robbers blow up part of, no, it's just B-roll that they used to be shocking and to like hold your attention but it had nothing to do with the topic other than they brought up the IRA and so the IRA has blown up people before. It's it's like, it's so crazy to show things that aren't actually part of the subject matter at hand, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Did, did you get any sense of that or am I crazy? I, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. Uh, I will say, I think that a lot of documentaries play pretty fast and loose with the b-roll and and recreations these days this feels like, like a whole other level of it though to me I, but. I don't i don't know if i agree with that but i think just like a lot of like uh like i'm listening to the daily the and new york times podcast the most popular podcast in the country right now uh and they will play a lot i of mean after hours after hours you mean 
what? What? Most popular podcast in the country after hours. Oh, after the slash homecast. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. I thought you said after hours, like H O U R S. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like it's popular a, after 6 p.m. It's, it's a, it's a, a you know, X rated uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, the daily. And, and they, and they will, I, as far as I know, like I might be wrong about this, and please, I'm sure people will write in to tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think they credit any of their B roll. Like they'll play a lot of B roll you know, audio B-roll and they don't necessarily say like where they got it from. You know, it'll be like news clips and stuff like that. And it's like you, with a, with a video uh, show, you can, it's like, Hey, ABC news says blah, blah, blah. You know where it's from with audio. It's harder to tell. And I don't think they like credited or cited or anything. And I'm just like, I, I predict one day some scandal is going to arise where like, they're going to play some clip and the provenance of it is like un, unknown. Cause they didn't credit it. Um, cause it's really hard to credit everything and it's going to be a problem. I, I just think a lot of documentaries are playing like pretty fast and loose. Like, but and, what and they do, movie, I mean, yeah. I, I thought of a better example. What they'll do okay. is like, you know, it'll say something like, um, you know, art heists are a way to make money. And then it'll show B roll of like cops busting into a room and getting satchels of cash. <laughs> You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, shit, we're like, Mm -hmm. there's satchels of cash involved in this art heist? No, there was a completely unrelated police matter that they just happened to have pictures of money. They brought up the word money, and so they showed a sensational, eye-catching piece of B-roll about money, but it has nothing to do with this particular circumstance. I don't know. It it really bothered me. Well, I'm sorry that you had a bad experience with B-roll. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Experience with the B-roll. But uh, I hope that... uh, Where did the B-roll hurt you? Yeah. (laughs) My eyeballs. (laughs) Uh, So it sounds like you did not enjoy this movie very much at all. I, that, that is not true. I I was, I was uh, interested. There is a lot of, of kind of cool interest. I mean, I'm a sucker for heists and the idea of heists. And there are things that happened in real life here that I always assumed were only fictional. Right. Like, the way th- there's a guy in this who's literally like the fucking art cat burglar from the Simpsons. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it, it's pretty wild that, that there are things that really happen in real life that you feel like, Oh my God, that's just like a John le Carre novel or something. You know, it's, right, it's not right. real. I would but, say the first two hours of this documentary is really engrossing. Like, I'm yeah. just like, I was like, so in, I'm like, Oh, I didn't think I'd watch this whole thing this weekend, but I'm going to do it, you know? And, uh, and then it really just lost all momentum in episode three, unfortunately. Yeah. For me. Well, it doesn't have um, anywhere to go. It, it yeah. really doesn't. And it, it's overlong and it, it, it feels like it's padded to make it into four episodes. It, it really did not need to have that length at all, I think. Well, uh, we hope you have a better time. Uh, the documentary is called uh, This is a Robbery. And it's on Netflix right now. And I think the first couple hours are great and it doesn't really end in a particularly good way. Uh, but those are Jeff and my thoughts on it. Jeff, why don't you take us through what else you watched this week? Well, I took a suggestion from our glorious hashtag slash tag, which is a way for fans to recommend things for us to watch and each other. You can search the hashtag slash tag on Twitter and you'll find recommendations from fellow listeners. Uh, and I find it to be an invaluable service, which means very valuable. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> mm, um, not unvaluable, invaluable, very valuable. Uh, like paintings at a museum, <laughs> very valuable. 
Invaluable, in fact. Anyway, uh, this suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost Jeff for full 10 seconds there. Well, it's not inflammable. Very, very much like things are inflammable. Yeah, yeah. it's not ketchup? inflammable. Ketchup. Inflammable. Ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this comes from uh, at Hawkins Teague on Twitter, who uh, suggested Shiva Baby, which is a film that I watched on that recommendation. Blindly, I checked it out. It cost me seven bucks on the old Apple TV to rent it. Um, I checked it out because uh, the recommendation said it had. Um, vibes similar to uncut gems yeah which is a movie <laughs> it's, it's what i hear yeah i i mean i i just thought that movie was incredible and uncomfortable but incredible um so I was, I was interested to check it out this is the first feature from writer director emma seligman although features you know maybe a little generous it's only an hour and 17 minutes long right this is like crisp, brisk. It is now shot to the top of my to watch yep. list. Yep. I, yep. I, I got there you go. Got that that, that is a massive selling point. It, indeed. This is why Jeff watched it. <laughs> One of the reasons. Um, yes. And uh, another thing I think you guys will enjoy, it's got uh, Fred Malamed in it. Everybody, nice. loves, a, oh, everybody loves a good Fred Malamed, right? Yeah. Um, this movie takes place almost entirely in one location at one time it, it is at a funeral it is at a uh, you know where they, they sit shiva for someone uh in the jewish faith uh this is sort of it's sort of like a wake you know it's like a, it's more a party but it's uh, under the auspices of of a funeral and this young woman uh is taken to this funeral by her parents she throughout the whole thing kind of doesn't even know who died uh but it becomes and we've this, all been there I yeah mean, oh yeah, yeah well your parents yeah, yeah. And she's she is in this strange place in her life where she has graduated from college um, and doesn't quite know what she's going to do with her life. And her parents are pressuring her to do all sorts of things. And it's all about them sort of presenting her to other people and explaining what she's doing with her life. Meanwhile, it's also this perfect storm of I won't spoil anything, but there are people at this event Mm-hmm. That she does not want to see and finds the out things about The basic plot is up there on IMDb. So, like, that, that is the pitch of the movie and trailers and stuff, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see that yeah. now on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to spoil it because I'm better than IMDb. <laughs> but um, it, it, I would say don't go in knowing that. I, I was enjoyed the fact that I didn't know that point. But basically... Yeah, a very uncomfortable situation. And it's all about navigating, like, all these people... It's a situation I think everybody has been in, whether or not it's at a funeral, but it's like this thing where all these people you know, stop you and you have to have these inane conversations. Like, oh, yeah, it's so great to see you. Oh, my gosh. What was the last time? Oh. And she's like constantly having these these conversations with all these people and her parents are introducing her to folks. Meanwhile, there's this secondary track in her brain of, oh, my God, how do I deal with all this information? What's happening? Uh it's it's fascinating and it's cool that it's all compressed into this one event. Um, I thought it was shot really well. It does have that tension. I can see, I can understand the relationship that people have to uncut gems. I don't think it reaches that kind of, you know, clutch your chair, white knuckle <laughs> feeling that I felt with un- uncut gems, but it does have that same sense of like, Oh my God, just get out of there. Um, 
but I, I really, I, I dug it. I thought it was good. I do think at, at an hour and 17, it probably could have had 15 more minutes, right? I think there could have, and I never say that about movies, but <laughs> I feel like the end is fine, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really amount to much. Uh, I wish there could have been a little bit more of a profound ending or a, or at least taken the character to some new place. Um, it, it sort of like ends the day and I, I was satisfied with the movie, but I felt like the ending could have been improved. Um, but mm -hmm. I recommend Shiva baby. It's cool. It's an unusual, interesting debut for a, a relatively young filmmaker. I'll definitely be checking it out too, because I know this movie was shot in, uh, in my old neighborhood of Flatbush. So, Oh yeah. It That's looks cool. very, very familiar. I certainly, this looks like one of those movies that took place in one of the, the fancier, like a uh, Victorian esque houses almost. Uh, but certainly around that area, I do miss walking around stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, the movie Shiva Baby, it, I'm, I'm guessing you rented it online, right? Um, yeah, so I said seven bucks on uh, Apple TV is what I did. And uh, Emma Seligman uh, seems like super talented. Yes. She's probably, what, in her mid-20s, right? Yeah, and it feels this like a very autobiographical film. movie to me, yeah. About a woman in her 20s. She's in her 20s. I would assume that she, you know, she's also the writer. So, yeah, I feel like she has a bright future as a filmmaker, for sure. Yeah, I'm just really impressed whenever someone in their 20s can produce something that's so kind of polished and good. <laughs> yeah, like, and this is, you know, demonstrating being able to make a lot with a little, right? It's basically one location. Uh, there's a lot of actors, but most of them are most of them are set dressing, you know? Uh, it, it's impressive just conceptually how she's able to make a movie feel big that is really actually pretty small. It reminds me of, like... <laughs> uh, P.T. Anderson, I think, made Boogie Nights before he was 27. Yeah. yeah. Incredible movie. Anyway, some people are just extremely talented. That's why I, I should was also to mention uh, the. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to. should also mention the lead actress is uh, Rachel Sanat, I think. Uh, she is quite good too. I think she is going to have a bright future as well. All right. Well, that's Shiva Baby. Check it out wherever VOD movies can be rented or purchased. Devere Hardware, take us through a couple of things you've been watching real quick. Oh, real quick, I have been uh, catching up on Invincible, which you guys talked. It's the, yeah. the Amazon show, the adaptation of the Robert Kirkman comic. And uh, I have to say, the first episode of the show does kind of undersell it until the very end. I do think yeah. like if, you, if you're watching, and this is like a 50-minute you know, episode, this is like a very long, there's a lot of like, oh, I've been here, done that. Right. And then it turns itself on that. It turns on its head uh, at the very end. And it gets really interesting. But it is a weird thing of like setting up this world that is like, oh, you're just you're just doing D.C., huh? You're just do doing the whole thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it has basically. to do that. It has to lull you it has, into a it has to do that. state yeah, of calm. Yeah. yeah. But I think certainly if you watch 45 minutes of the show and be like, I'm done. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe because a little too long. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of, of getting there and i'm not going to spoil what happens but i do think it's a uh, it is certainly interesting and i do think the way they start to like envision superpowers and things um it gets more creative as the series goes on um you have to show about yeah basically the son of superman dealing with his powers and uh, a superman who doesn't want to be part of the justice league too which is kind of interesting he wants to be an outsider and he has this tension of either being part of the government groups because they're apparently people know they're superheroes and they're government approved groups of superheroes. I do always kind of like that stuff. And that's where Walton Goggins comes in. He is like the head, uh, the head, uh, 
I don't know. He's Nick uh, Fury, basically. Yeah, he's yeah, Nick Fury yeah. type dude. And also has the really cool, I don't, is it his power? His ability to just like pop into literally anywhere? I think it's kind I think of fun. That's tech. I think that's is that tech. Is that tech? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's fun. Um, my main reservations with the show came from watching several of the early trailers. And I, I don't know what is happening with the animation on the show. And I'm sure a lot of it is just purposeful, but it, it looks like garbage. It don't look <laughs> good. And wow. I am just really harsh. It's I, I feel like I'm watching the seventies justice league cartoon. Really? That certain, bad? Yeah. There are points no. in this, in the show where it is a static image that they're just like panning the camera on error, like a facial expression that doesn't move for way too long. It just, you don't think I'm that's spoiled. intentional in any way. It's certainly intentional, but it doesn't <laughs> look good. Like that. That's what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. It, it is like a weird hearkening back to that old school stuff. Um, so I know it just feels to me that stuff feels, I think you can do that in a way that is more fluid. That is, you know, we don't have to suffer bad animation guys. Right. Like that was, that was a symptom of low budgets and stuff in the seventies, but you look at the Fleischer Superman cartoons and shit was smooth as butter, you know, like it, it, people had expressions and they had faces and things. This show doesn't quite have that, but I do think the, the, the push of the narrative, the characters are really interesting. I like, pretty much all the voice actors like they got they have everybody in the show like of course jason manzoukas is in here but mark hamill shows up clancy brown shows up as several characters and you're like god damn yeah like of course clancy brown michael dorn is in the show mahershala Ali, like just everybody pops in i think they all do pretty good work and the, the world building is really interesting um I do kind of have an aversion to uh, to Kirkman stuff after The Walking Dead because I read The Walking Dead for a while, and uh, I started to learn that he is just uh, he's just kind of a sociopath with his characters. Like <laughs> things just get bad and brutal and nihilistic in a way that I just couldn't really take. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I kind of have a sense of that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm watching it so far. I'm I'm digging it. I'm just surprised at like the way they're handling the animation, also because. Uh, I believe the animation was like um, animation direction is by one of the people who used to work on last airbender. So it's like, they have like the experience of producing the more modern fluid stuff. And certainly so much of this show is just the, uh, the, the choice to evoke a certain style. I, uh, I just, I just hate looking at it. I, I will just me. say like, I, I cannot disagree more vehemently with what okay. Devendra is saying. It's fine. You know? I watch and more animation I'm, than I'm, you do. That's all. I'm not, That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I love the animation style. Like, I don't. You know what I mean? But I don't think it's bad. Uh, I think it's trying to evoke a certain no, I'm style. Saying it's and a I, very personal I, thing to me. It's a right, very personal uh, fair, fair enough. I would say it is here. I would describe it as old school. That's how I describe <laughs> the animation. You know, and it's bad uh, old school. I, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, you go back to real old school, the, the Superman. Sure, it's like uh, those things looked incredible because they put so much fluid, like so much detail. You're, they you're, actually, saying, the, you're yeah. saying you 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 dislike the level of detail and the fluidity of the animation is what you're saying. You have beat, no, yes? there's no detail. I'm saying there is no detail. There's no detail <laughs> to the facial yeah. expressions. There is no like there there is no like uh, characters don't like move or react to things. They kind of jump from frame to frame when it comes to their mm. facial animations and things like that. Yeah, it is I, a very I, animation I, I, nerdy thing. But it that's, is that's, that's fair enough, and I do get obvious. a sense of some of what you're describing. You know, like yeah. when I was, and that's kind of why I was not too hot on the show to begin with. You know, um, but I have to say, I am totally caught up with the show, and not only that, I'm like getting real into it. I actually, yeah, it's good. So, yeah. at, uh, at the advice of a friend of the show, Dan Gavazan, I actually acquired the 
first compendium of I think it's like fifty comics yeah. uh, on Comicsology. So I'm like so really getting into it. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 digging the show, digging the show, and uh, let me tell you guys. I made a huge tiny mistake uh, because mm-hmm. I decided to experiment with like creating a YouTube recap show. Uh-huh. And I just created a YouTube recap show about Falcon and Winter Soldier with uh-huh. Dan Gvostin. So every week you can hear my thoughts on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Here's, here's, here's my mistake. I don't like Falcon and Winter Soldier very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, that would be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you, when you start a recap show, you don't know what whether you're going to like the show or not, or you don't know whether it's going to do stuff you don't like. Anyway, uh, I really regret not doing a recap show about this show instead because I think yeah. this show actually offers a lot more to think about and dive into than Falcon and Winter Soldier. For sure. Probably uh, for a smaller audience for this one, though, unfortunately. Yeah, compared to... It reminds to, me of yeah. uh, my friend that, that uh, <laughs> like, for years built up this online persona around covering Cyberpunk 2077 when it came out, you know, <laughs> like pre-release. Like, it was, it, yeah. he was going to be the Cyberpunk 2077 guy. Yeah. And then, it, it, yeah. And then, and then it the release was a disaster, released, like, basically. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. something else. Well, I mean, it, you know, and, and people ask me literally every week in the comments, why are you still watching this show? <laughs> and it would be a much different conversation if yeah. the show was I've like... i dug myself in too deep. That's the it, only If excuse. the show was like 13 episodes or yeah. like 22 yeah. episodes, in one season we'd be having a much different conversation but it's six episodes we're already you'll be fine we're we're less than two hours away from the end of falcon winter soldier so (laughs) i'm you know so it's like at this point i might as well finish the swing on this one you know what i'm saying uh but i i I should have started a show about invincible that's the biggest vote of you know vote of uh confidence i could give you in in invincible at least it didn't have you know uh what six seven seasons before you hated it a la game of thrones <laughs> well i mean i, I recap game of thrones starting season two so right, that's um, what i'm saying you're saying because game of thrones shit the bed so bad i'm saying you had the same experience with game of thrones but you were many many more hours in. Oh, that, that's was, more yes. of a heartbreak thing yeah you can't, you can't <laughs> well predict. also i mean guys game of thrones at its height is like yeah. literally the best thing on tv i feel like right? we've all forgotten but it was uh that was some incredible tv it was incredible it was for incredible. a while yeah. when it was great no no it's not it's that it's, pilot is still fantastic. Yeah, you know? yeah so no, it's, it's like it, yeah. it's great, but there's no you can't wash that stink off, man. <laughs> well, it's all we seen, remember. Have you yeah. seen that's that? How they're I feel trying about Lost. Do... It's how I feel about Battlestar Galactica. It's how uh, I feel. There's a, there's uh, a bunch of series where I can't get that stink off. Like there were t- there were the second to last season of Lost is spectacular, amazing. It's so good, amazing but it's like stuff. but yeah. the, the show equals garbage in my head. Mm, mm. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Did you see th- that uh, HBO is trying to do this whole thing around it now? They're calling it the Iron Anniversary. It's like the 10-year anniversary mm. of Game of Thrones debut. And uh, yeah. Remember when Game of Thrones was good, everybody? Really, like, cur- yeah, really curious about the that. viewership. Really curious about the viewership on the there, Iron there Anniversary. Certainly, there is room to kind of go back and reassess certain shows too, which is that is more of an internet thing or more of like a DVD re-release type thing. But I wonder if we'll start seeing uh networks kind of do that. Like, Hey, Hey guys, look now we're streaming game of Thrones in 4k Dolby vision. Go, go back, revisit your favorite episodes. Here's some new commentary. Here's some new extras. Here's how like this thing was made. I, that could be a way to revive interest in these things too. Yeah. Well, going back to what Devinger has been watching, uh, he, he's been watching Invincible, yeah, 
and you can stream it right now on Prime Video. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Babbel. Boy, if you're like me, learning a language in school, in high school, oh, or co even college, it wasn't exactly a high point in my academic career. I, I wanted to learn Italian because of my Italian heritage. Ooh, that didn't work. <laughs> and in high school, I took a bunch of Spanish. I can say uh, uh, el perro es verde. The, the dog is green. That's about as much as I got out of my high school Spanish classes. But now, thanks to Babbel, the number one selling language learning app, there is an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. I'm learning Spanish. I think it's essential. I've always wanted to learn another language, but who has the time, right? Who has the the, the ability to, to really buckle down? Well, Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. I, I do mine on my phone in the middle of the day. And Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things you'll actually use in everyday life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel has lessons that were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your own pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com and the promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for an additional three months free. Babbel, language for life. Let's get to weekly plugs. Mm -hmm. Mm. This is weird. I wanted them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. We are texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. I think in a way, it takes a lot to get us to furiously text. So good. Unsolicited. All over the place. So good. So good. Let the internet have its way. Plugs. 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 We'll cut. We might cut it down. Weekly plugs a segment each week where we plug something that we have created, we've been in, or that uh, we just like, that you should check out. Uh, so this week, I want to recommend uh, a vlog that I made. Uh, I got Pfizer Dose 2 recently, the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. I was lucky enough to get it. Uh, and I decided to vlog what my side effects would be. <laughs> so uh, the, the vlog is just <laughs> you going, well, here I go. And then here the camera falls over and it's just a hand for two hours. <laughs> this is hell. Indeed. I am not a medical professional. I am not a doctor. So do not, it, it is only for entertainment purposes, basically, to watch this thing. Um, but yeah, made a vlog and um, vlogs doing well. I've gotten a lot of uh, people saying uh, I basically have the mark of the beast, um, mm -hmm. that the vaccine is going to change my DNA and stuff. Yeah, and that's how that that's, works. Yeah. That's how I know that the vlog's doing well. You know, because it's reached the idiots. It's getting, yeah, it's getting served to people who uh, are the wackadoos, you see. Yeah. 
so uh, join join that crowd, why don't you? Watch this vlog on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. Maybe uh, leave a good comment on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Some some people already have, actually, and I really appreciate that. Okay, that's what I, uh, my, my weekly plug. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. Oh, yeah. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We had the renowned physicist Michio Kaku on. I saw this so jealous, yeah, Devinder. So Michio Kaku, I, brilliant. Right? Brilliant guy. I've read his book since high school, Hyperspace. That book came out in like the mid-90s. and It blew my mind because it was all about how wormholes could be possible. And just like it's the sort of thing like when I started reading about string theory in high school – just kind of reassess the way I viewed the world. So it was an honor to talk to him um, about his uh, his latest book, The God Equation. And uh, yeah, we dive into a lot of things. Uh, I would say take a listen. Um, chatting with him was an interesting experience. And I, I will say that. Like, he is a guy who's clearly media trained. So it was mm. really funny to hear. Um, like, I think he was on Colbert the night before, or th- like a couple days before. And really, really interesting to hear him basically say verbatim the same uh, the same things in some answers. Like, I, mm. I really wonder how he's programmed. But his stuff is really cool. He talks about some wild shit, too. Like, just some some stuff like well, he, where... You know, the, the, the Colbert was basically a dress rehearsal for appearing yeah. on Engadget. Right. No, most yeah, definitely. Right. I feel like that's it. Like, we get we get deep. We talked with him for 25 minutes, and he answered questions from our audience, too. Nice. Um, yeah, th- that was super cool. But, like, I think at the end, like, just, just, just a brief glimpse into what Michio Kaku thinks like he he really does think we're going to upload our brains to um you know space faring robots that will be downloaded across the galaxy and will live forever and i've actually heard several people you know come at me with different ways that humanity could live on but his is certainly the most interesting and he has the most like academic background of all of them so hey this guy predicted a lot of stuff about where we are now with smartphones uh like hyperspace was a book i read about you know chips are going to get really small guys we're going to have computers in our pockets. Just wait. And that was in the mid-90s. And uh, look where we are now, folks. He was right. Okay. All right. Check out Michio Kaku on the Engadget podcast. Great get, Devendra. Nice work. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Your weekly plug. Well, I want to mention the Dungeon Run again because we're back in our third week back. Yay, after, congrats. Uh, thank you. Yeah. How's it been going on the Twitch? Oh, it's been fantastic. We've already reached partner status on Twitch, which is Woo! phenomenal. I Woo. think this week we're going to be featured on the front page of Twitch, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's the wow, yeah, pretty pretty awesome. Um, Congrats, and wh- dude! That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, it is huge for us. We are doing the show on our own now. We got we got the rights to do it from Caffeine, where that had created the show and and funded the show, uh, and now we have the rights to do it. So we're doing it all on our own uh, through Patreon. It's been a wild, a difficult, <laughs> arduous project process, but super fun too. And this is a great week to jump on. If you're curious about the show, I will tell you that what happened last week is the team, this is this is our fantasy Dungeons and Dragons show. So the team was set up to do a heist of this crime lord. This is one of the reasons I was so excited to watch that heist documentary this week is we're talking about heists. They were going to steal this magical item from uh, this crime lord. And uh, unfortunately, things went a little crazy as they were trying to break in and one of their teammates has been abducted, captured, held, held by the crime Lord. So now it's this heist that's turned into a rescue mission. It's going to be a wild episode because we ended on a big cliffhanger last week. So they're going to have to figure out how to do it. They're in real danger. They're fighting in the sewers underneath this mansion that they have to break into right now. 
And uh, it's a it's a blast. So check it out. Twitch.tv slash The Dungeon Run on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. You can also find us on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run or as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run there. All right. Those are our weekly plugs. Let's get to our review of Concrete Cowboy. I ain't staying here. All right. So you step out, that door stays locked till morning. All cowboys were black. Even the Lone Ranger was black. <laughs> Who's the Lone Ranger? Really? Are oh, you teaching this boy anything? The history here is deep. We like the Wild West out here. I woke up to the morning sky first. Baby blue, just like we were. I know you. You hops, boy. When I get up off this ground, I should be Your daddy got rules that you're not abiding by. Yo, what are you doing? You want to ride the street life? You can't be in my house. You want to wise up? You welcome back. Welcome back to what? I ain't got no home here. That's your choice. That was from the trailer for Concrete Cowboy, the new film by director Ricky Staub. It's streaming right now on Netflix. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, quote, sent to live with his estranged father for the summer, a rebellious teen finds kinship in a tight-knit Philadelphia community of black cowboys. End quote. This is a fascinating movie. It's based off of a real-life community of cowboys. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely think it's worth checking out because, I mean, when you look at the the box art for this movie, when you look at the the mm-hmm. poster and the promotional images for this movie, it's fascinating because... It looks like a Western, because it is a Western. It looks like a Western. It takes place in yeah. an urban environment, but the idea of the black cowboy mm-hmm. has just been largely absent in the popular uh, imagination about what cowboys are. His, I'm quoting from a CNN piece right now. Historians yeah, yeah. estimate that 25% of cowboys on the American frontier of the late 19th century were black. Many were former slaves who had learned horsemanship skills on ranches across Texas and other parts of the West, but you wouldn't know it from reading most textbooks or watching early Hollywood westerns, where sheriffs, outlaws, and other gunslinging cowboys were almost all white, end quote. The movie even suggests that the term cowboy was a pejorative, yeah. right? Mm, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just the image is striking, and then you realize like kind of how racialized the, the image of the cowboy has been, right? Um, so I was looking forward to kind of watching this to, to be a, uh, a little bit more educated about this community and... Uh, the place of cowboys uh, in the black community and also like uh, just just learning about people that were different than me uh, and that traveled in circles I wasn't in. And I think the movie certainly delivers on that. Mm-hmm. My question for you, Devendra, is does it do any more than that for you? Uh, you know what? I, I found it mainly to be interesting in that respect. Like it is reframing the idea of what a cowboy movie can be. And also, you know, what a movie about um, a troubled black kid trying to deal with life and trying to reconnect with his estranged father. I feel like in many ways we've seen this movie, um, at least the, the bones of it. Right. But the texture of, you know, them dealing with horses in a city, I think is really interesting. Um, It's also, it's a community I've kind of followed too, uh, because they're, they're also black cowboys in New York city. Um, As you go to the airport, as you go to JFK, there are stables along some of the major highways. And it's very confusing because it seems like something that shouldn't exist in New York city too. So I've always wondered like, you know, yeah, how, how have those communities just survived for so long? 
I found this to be a pretty solid film, but it, uh, so much of it does feel like things we've seen before at the same time. Like, right. Yeah. Um, the very first scene actually, which introduces us to, uh, to the main character played by Caleb McLaughlin um, is the first scene of Creed. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it, it is almost exactly that same first scene. Um, it's weird. It's but, weird when he starts boxing that horse. Yeah. <laughs> d- did not expect that. Um, but I do think like this movie succeeds because of the strength of the cast. Um, right. like uh, Caleb McLaughlin is great. Uh, Lorraine Toussaint to Saint who I've loved in orange is the new black is always fantastic. I feel like she's not in this movie enough. And Idris Elba. I knew her from. Yes. Oh my yes. gosh. She just yes. has a great face and a great voice. Like she, yeah, she is, she makes everything better. I think Idris Elba just really, you know, does a good job of embodying this, uh, the spirit and the swagger. Yeah, he looks, what, he looks amazing. Yeah. He looks amazing. Like he really fits the part. And I think like his relationship with Cole, uh, his character's relationship with his son is just really, it's complex. It's not easy. And I, I do think like the movie does try to explore some really interesting uh, territory, but yeah, at the same time, I think by the end, uh, it doesn't feel like we did much new other than really get into this world of black cowboys. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad like I, I saw um, some of these sequences. There is a shot um, in this movie of horses just riding shot from the perspective of, of a city bus. Yeah. That I thought is beautiful. It's, it's really incredible. Beautiful. It's, it's, yeah. it's visually arresting, you know, it has some to, great to moments that. like that. Yeah. yeah it has this lots isn't of the like, writer, you know? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of visuals in it that will, that will just like really, really strike you. So, uh, okay. Uh, and by the way, I, let me just add on Devendra. I agree with you about the cast. And I also think this is a really good instance of, uh, using non-actors in. Oh the yeah. Cast. Yeah. Cause a lot, of, uh, a lot of the folks are from this community too. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, I was impressed with Jamil Prattis who plays Paris, who's the gentleman in the wheelchair in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, non-actor or not, not an actor before this movie. And I thought he really delivered a, a performance with a lot of gravitas that uh, I was impressed by. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the cast is great, but also like the non-actors that are in the cast uh, were also very impressive. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Concrete uh, Cowboy? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Concrete Cowboy or best summed up in the form of a limerick. Mm, all right. I'm intrigued. Urban Cowboys in this Century is fascinating mentally, but I'd prefer if this film were instead a documentary. Hmm. Why do you why do you say that, Jeff? Why do you want a documentary instead of what we have here? The I don't think it's a spoiler to say the end credits of this movie feature some interviews. Yeah, yeah. Cinema mm-hmm. Verite interviews with the real people uh, who are doing this now are still carrying on this tradition of being these concrete cowboys, these urban cowboys. Yeah. The best part of the movie, (laughs) I think for me, uh, it was, I want to see, I want to know more about this. It's fascinating. And there's the, the, the movie does a couple of sort of big info dumps in the form of like dudes sitting around a campfire, just telling you things. And it's interesting. I, it's stuff that I had no idea about. It's fascinating. And I feel like if the, the, I would rather see a movie that just laid out the history here and tried to find archival photos and video and really was a documentary about this thing that I was not aware of uh, than rather than hanging this dramatic narrative on it, which is, Mm -hmm. I agree with Devendra, 
it's fine. It's it's good. It, it we've sort of been down this path. It doesn't really blaze a new trail narratively. It it, but it doesn't. It it's not a bad movie. It's, it's not just not perfectly watchable. Yeah, perfectly watchable. But it, I think the kernel of what's so interesting and compelling about this tale is in the truth of it. Mm-hmm. And I find that I believe that if that truth was was the movie, if it was a documentary, if it was really just explaining this history to me i would be much more interested and and ultimately more satisfied with the with the film but they couldn't star idris elba right which i think is that's true is the main draw to get people here maybe he could narrate it nobody watches those things jeff come on (laughs) (laughs) just nerds like us (laughs) like let's live in reality here like a cowboy movie starring idris elba tons of people will go watch this and i do feel like that is the power of it but yeah while watching this i couldn't help but think of chloe zhao's the writer you know, and the way she balances the truth of it, the the real life story and the narrative she's trying to build. But maybe that's that's too rough. I can't compare every movie to the writer because every movie would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Jeff, you got to watch the writer. It's really I got to um, watch the writer, man. So. So, yeah, I for once, guys, we are like 100 percent in agreement about right. Movie, which is just basically the this movie is a coming of age movie. But the coming-of-age part of it is, I think, one of the weakest parts. Now, I think the actors all do a, a great job in this film, specifically Caleb McLaughlin. Like, he acts his heart out in this movie, but there's just not enough of it on the page, in my opinion, for me to really feel caught up in that character's journey. And I think that uh, one of the things that's compelling about... Like, you, you guys tell me, convince me that I'm wrong here, but like, I think one of the things that is compelling about this idea. First of all, as you've already said, visually, the idea of people riding, you know, dressed up as cowboys, riding horses down urban streets is just really striking. It's like, wow, I I, I don't see stuff like that very often. Um, Plus the fact that they're black. And we've already talked about like how black cowboys have not been a super prominent part of uh, our mythologizing about, about cowboys. The thing I was looking for in this movie was a sense of how first of all a better sense of how like who the character was before the movie began mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh the the idea that we are given when the movie begins is that this guy the kid acts out so much that his mother is willing to abandon him like that is yeah, yeah. with garbage and, bags of clothes yeah and i just never believed that that was true of this character. Um, and you talked about Creed. I mean, if I recall correctly, didn't they show him actually literally fighting in the yes. first? Yes. Right. So like, it's like Creed you is true to the character him. from the beginning. Yeah. Exactly. So you literally see him get into a tussle in the beginning. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like you, you instantly get that character. Like you get it right from the start. And they don't show you. They show. They talk about him fighting, but they never show it. And I never got the sense that this guy is like a powder keg about to explode, which I think. You, you kind of need to have a little bit of that if you're going to then make the case that taking care of these horses helps him to mm-hmm. center his life, right? Which maybe, is kinda... maybe part of it is we also know him from Stranger Things, you know, right? So, like, we've yeah, seen I mean, this I actor grow up. I don't watch that show, you know, so... Uh, you don't watch I, it I, I at all? Slate. No. At like, all? I, I watched, you know, uh, season one, and then I, okay. I have not watched anything else. Yeah, so you've else. watched some Stranger Things, Mr... Don't, don't don't touch this garbage. Um, but <laughs> we watched him grow up. That's you know? that's my middle name. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, scoff at the Stranger Things. 
watched a whole season of that show. My, my point being, it's a, I have a blank slate. I have a blank slate. For all I know, you're, not, his character- you're a season full slate. <laughs> For all I know, <laughs> the character in Stranger Things is exactly the same as his character here at this point in time. I have no idea. I have no idea. I like when you guys argue about slates. <laughs> so anyway, I think that uh, I just wh- what you want to see is like, oh, there, there are these movies where people their lives are all effed up and they use sports or music or in this case, something less typical, taking care of horses to actualize, to become better humans, to become the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was shortchanged in both parts of the journey. You know, the yeah. part of before when he was supposed to be theoretically like ultra violent and incorrigible and the part after uh, when theoretically it's supposed to be about how like you, you get a little bit of it. You get a little bit of when, when they're like, yeah, shovel this shit, you know, like do this stuff. And, and you get a little bit of his relationship with those around him and it was a relationship with horses. But I just didn't feel like emotionally connected in the way Sometimes that I think things I was supposed just to. happen too. like he, he, he was almost destined to be with this horse that you know nobody oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a little weird. yeah that's pretty and that's that's the thing is like the parts of this movie that are the weakest mm-hmm. are the parts where you feel the requirements of the coming of age movie intruding on the story right where it's like oh he's got to have the one violent horse that he can completely bond with you know like yeah and, but like why does that happen? No reason other than they're both like peas in a pod they're both so similar they're both symbolism, so guys symbolism yeah. yeah, they're both uh, untamable at heart. Yeah. yeah, so so the cliche parts are pretty weak, but the movie is gorgeous. You know, like it just is really beautifully shot. It's beautifully lit, uh, and there's some really great production design decisions in the in the movie. Like in the first night, he gets to Idris Elba's house. First of all, he sees a horse in the house, which is really shocking, right? And he opens the fridge and inside the fridge is cans of beer and single slices of American cheese. <laughs> yeah. And I just like, this is brilliant. That is such a brilliant, <laughs> like the image is on screen for like two seconds and it's like, Oh, you need to live. What, yeah. what a brilliant way of conveying what this person's life is, is like his fridge is full of, uh, beer and slices of cheese. And it's just and like, Coca-Cola. Wow. yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you, you, you get everything you need to know about this character from that. And, uh, so, also, there's a horse in his living room. I think that tells us a lot. <laughs> Did I mention the horse in yeah. the living room? Yeah. <laughs> that was just so perfect. By the cheese in the fridge. So the only- <laughs> Can we talk about the horse in the living room? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. So- that's so, amazing. Well uh, done, Devendra. Yeah, yeah. Well done. I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. So. <laughs> it tells you all you need to know, except for that one other bit of tidbit of information. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, the movie looks great, right? Yeah. It just yeah. is. It's beautifully lit, and uh, a lot of the movie shot in handheld camera. There's like this urgency to the way it's shot that uh, just feels really vibrant and alive. Of course. Uh, you also like get all these non-actors telling you know you you get a sense like it actually honestly reminded me of Nomadland right mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. yeah the black cow black urban cowboy version of Nomadland yeah. everything comes back to Chloe Zhao like really yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. you just be watching Chloe Zhao <laughs> yeah, movies exactly. forever yep. yeah go ahead Jeff what were you gonna say I just don't I don't even think that the non-actors stood out as much as in Nomadland 
You know, it, it, I, for me, I, there was a, um, the, um, I should have looked up her name. The, the, the female, uh, kind horse of, trainer, yeah, young, the, the young girl, one, yeah. like yeah. I, it was a shock to me when she was a non-actor, you know, revealed sort of as a non-actor, a, a legitimate member of that community. Cause I thought I, I, I totally bought her as a mm-hmm. character in this film. And, um, you know, I, I, you, you disagree by, by the laughter, I'm guessing. No, no, totally do. And oh, uh, also I... she she gets an on-screen kiss too, which is uh yeah, yeah normally those characters are just sidelined. Yeah. Yeah. So uh I dug it. All right. So I don't even know if we need to go spoilers for this one, guys. What any other thoughts yeah. on on Concrete Cowboy? I, I don't want to sound too down on it. I do think yeah. it is worth watching. Like this is the thing. This is one yeah. of those movies I could watch with my family, or certainly my wife would be into it as well. It's just uh I feel like the premise has the promise for a lot more. You know, and it yeah. doesn't quite get there. Yeah, I agree completely with you. And they're like, this. the fact that the the friend was also into horses just felt a little too convenient to me. Yeah. That was beautiful, you know? though. I do, I do kind of yeah. like their their little relationship, even though uh, you know where that's going to go because you know what of movie course. this is. Um, I'm just going to tell you that yeah. any time in a movie, yeah. somebody talks about buying a ranch somewhere. Yeah. I have a yeah. dream. I have a One dream day. of what I'll do with my life. Yeah, yeah. Bad yeah. things yeah. are going to happen to that person. Bad things is it gonna happen to the person. Difficult to stand on a horse. I, I would imagine. I, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I, I think. I feel like the difficulty is in not. How many horses have you stood on, Jeff? Zero. But I'm. I'm. I'm trying to into it that the difficulty is not in the standing of the ho- on the horse. It's the preventing the horse from moving while yes. standing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And and therefore, and if the horse moves, then you're in big trouble. Well, you basically. fall. Yes. The difficulty of sitting <laughs> on a horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really gentle way of putting that, Jeff. Really gentle <laughs> way of putting that. But um, yeah, uh, this this movie has basically this movie has a lot in common with the Hunt for Red October. Is what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, I think both movies have talk of people wanting to buy ranches, or maybe mm. Sam Neill just wants to go to Montana in that movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if he wants a ranch or not, but anyway. Don't don't ever talk about buying. You know, there's some things you do them in movies. It's bad for you. Uh, talking about buying ranches and coughing. Uh, those those <laughs> things generally go badly if you're doing them in movies. Pretty sure I've just talked about buying a new house and mm. living the dream with my wife. This <laughs> well, you entire... didn't say ra- you didn't use the word ranch though. Okay, so. ranch is the key. You, so you didn't say it was my dream. You know, to to be here. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I, w- I would agree with you that. Devendra, that the movie's still worth watching. It's a, it's a, it's a conventional, an extremely conventional coming of age story. But the setting, the cast, the acting, production design, all that stuff is good enough. Uh, and there's enough kind of really kind of holy shit moments in the movie mm-hmm. that I think it's worth checking it out. You, you could tell so. it's a passion project too. I think like he, uh, I believe the director just like had the story in mind, Ricky Staub, and he is. This is his debut. I believe like he has not really done much. He, yeah, he did a short before this, but I read some of his, uh, some interviews with him. Like he used to work in the business. He was a uh, assistant to an executive and uh, clearly he had this idea of the story in his mind. You could tell like there, there's passion behind it. So I also really appreciate when those projects can actually happen because normally they just fall apart. Well, now that we've gotten the sexy time Idris Elba, uh, El- <laughs> Idris Elba version, can we have the uh, documentary now, please? Oh, I, would, sure I would actually so. be into sure. that. They would actually probably greenlight it more likely now. Yeah, because yeah, of, yeah. Because yeah. of yeah. something like this. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. All right, folks. 
those are our thoughts on Concrete Cowboy. You can watch it right now on Netflix. I do want to say uh, you can also support this podcast over at patreon.com slash film podcast, uh, where every week or so, uh, three at least three times a month, we release an After Dark that's exclusive to patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, this week, we'll be doing mailbag uh, and uh, answering some questions that people have submitted to us over at the Patreon. So that's what uh, folks have to look forward to on the After Dark this week. Until then, more episodes of this podcast can be found at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned here. We'll be discussing next week. Well, actually, no, this is it. This is this is the end. We're, is we already We're did done. the weekly plugs. <laughs> Stay tuned so, for right now. <laughs> for right now. Uh, and that is nobody. We're finally going to be reviewing nobody because it's going Sweet. to be hitting Piva. Hopefully, I did not F up the date this time. <laughs> Hopefully, I did not royally F up the date. But apparently, nobody, new Bob Odenkirk, Ilya Nashula movie will be streaming on Pivod. Uh, this Friday. And so yeah. we'll be watching and reviewing it here on the Slash Filmcast. You, you know what, Dave? It's my it's my dream to see nobody. Like, I, I feel like my whole life has been built up to this moment. I'm just saving yeah. all my money to, to see it. So I Indeed. hope uh, nothing bad happens until then. <laughs> <laughs> nobody is your ranch, is what yes, you're saying? Yes, my ranch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't joke about that, guys. Don't joke about that. Don't I will. About getting a ranch. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, slide bad. It's the slash film cast. For all the news and the movies coming out, because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.